0: You can always pull up to a fantastic cake shop as well. Just be yourself and be happy with yourself. Really, we're going into an ice bath and you're wearing your socks.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Rams TV podcast. I'm Owen Bradley. Thanks for coming back for episode two. We got underway with one of the stalwarts of Rams TV and today we've got another one for you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate us, leave a review, all that. Get your questions in as well. Uh, we'll get to Ask Rams TV a little bit later, but first up, today's guest. He was promoted to the Premier League four times with four different clubs. Not many can say that. He played nearly 500 matches in a 19-year career. And these days when he's not on Rams TV, you'll find him out on his bike somewhere around Derbyshire. Our guest today, Mark Edworthy. Well, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Do you cycle here?
0: That's your big thing, isn't it? I didn't today, actually, even though the weather was glorious here in Derby. I've been cycling quite a lot, as you know going back to the prostate cancer event, that was wonderful, a great occasion, but also just a huge celebration to the people who actually finished the ride, and to get that brand awareness out there, that's the most important thing, Um, we know how many men get affected each year by this terrible disease, over 11,000 men now, so it was a real clear message to get it out there, diagnosis early, help save lives and Just, you know, like I say, a huge success on the people that finished it. The standard of the riders was all different. Uh, Men and women did it. So a huge thank you to them. So, um, yes, the cycling was great. Unfortunately, though, Owen, it rained constantly for two days.
1: I I remember seeing some of the photos and, yeah, you you, you did look great. Bless you. But um,
0: is it your sport now, cycling? You seem to do it quite... Whenever I see you, you say, I've been out this place, this hill, whatever. Well, I think being a sportsman, you're always going to be competitive and... It's either go back into the industry, become a coach or a manager, or you go down the gym to keep fit. A lot of players play golf, but I prefer the sort of sport that gets me out sort of putting on a sweat and a bit of a challenge. And and my friend, funnily enough, Steve Bailey and James Knowles got me into cycling. I started off going mountain biking. Again, that was a challenge. Just some wonderful uh, trails around the Peak District. And uh, then I got into road cycling and just realised it's great camaraderie. You meet new people. I've been to places in Derbyshire I've never been before or seen um, and the great thing about that is uh, not only health-wise and fitness-wise, you can always pull up to a, a fantastic cake shop as well and get some uh, nice cake on the way.
1: Yeah, you've been, you've been badgering me to, uh, to sort out a bike and, and come out. And I will at some point, I will. Oh. Is, is it something that you're also a sport that you're also a fan of? Like, will you watch the Tour de France and, and other races? Do you follow that side of things or do you just like to get out and do it yourself?
0: I think it's a bit of both really. I love to get out and as we said in Derbyshire there's some uh, wonderful places to visit. Some of the sites are are stunning really and there's places I've never been to or or been through and also I've cycled abroad as well so that gives you a great opportunity to visit new places and also uh, watching, watching the tours as well obviously the Tour de France and just goes to show I'm really interested in all different sports really not just cycling uh football rugby tennis boxing whatever it may be they all got their different identities and the fitness you need and you think you're quite fit being a a former player but when you come up against these cyclists they're they're incredible athletes and uh the what they they produce and the power they produce um i thought i was quite good on my bike until i actually went on a, a sportive ride recently um with some gb riders and um some triathletes and uh uh, I must have been at top speed, everything I had left in my tank just to try to keep up with these guys. And then we eventually got to a bit of a stop, and, um, which was quite comical. One of them said, oh, that was a nice stretch out. I'm, I'm just on a recovery ride. And I said, really, that's a recovery ride for you. And cheekily, I said, well, yes, to be fair, I'm recovering as well, trying to keep up with you. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful to get out with these people and, and understand what they've got to do and commit to their own individual sports.
1: Do you like comparing notes with athletes from other sports?
0: I think so, yeah. I, I think it's, um, I'll be amazed at how other athletes, you know, want to talk about football and maybe boxing. I've been on a few boxing uh, training and courses and, uh, you know, it's just so intense. So I think when, you, when you've when you put yourself in those their positions, like cycling, maybe boxing, I played rugby in my time, um, I think you understand the levels of fitness these guys are and the commitment what's needed for each sport so they are all different they are individual but it's amazing how people, many people come back and say oh, I'd love to be a football player so that's pretty interesting
2: Derby County supporters can now secure their seat for the second half of the championship campaign by purchasing a half season ticket Wayne Rooney will pull on a Derby shirt for the first time in January 2020 and a half season ticket guarantees fans they won't miss a moment of the action including vital home games against arch rivals Nottingham Forest and Leeds United. Starting with the game against Charlton Athletic on Monday the 30th of December a half season ticket also makes the perfect Christmas gift. For information on how to buy your half-season ticket, visit dcfc.co.uk or call the Derby County Ticket Office, presented by SeatGeek, on 0871 472 1884. How come
1: you ended up in this part of the world? Because you're from South Coast, Plymouth, I think, or near, nearby, um, and you've had a, a few clubs around the country, Palace notably. Um, so how come you sort of settled in, and stayed in Derby?
0: Well, I think that's where the career and the journey took me. Um, Obviously, born down in Biddyford, a little town, born in Barnstable, a little small town in North Devon. Uh, There's probably a traffic light and um, a roundabout, but it's improved over the years now. So going from there, going to Plymouth, which was uh, a big city, um, doing my YTS and apprenticeship there, and obviously then signing for Palace in the capital. And I think time and moves, I ended up coming to the Midlands. I signed for Coventry. Uh, with Gordon Strachan stayed there for four years and then obviously my career went on to Wolves, Norwich even though I commuted to Norwich from Coventry and then obviously came to came to Derby after Norwich so I was always sort of around the Midlands area and then of course um, we've got three boys, children, it was time to really sort of set up home, get them for education and I think what 14, 15 years later we're still here in Derby.
1: How was it for the boys growing up with dad as a professional footballer and, and I guess Playing for for their club, their local club at times as well.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, now they're getting a bit older, they realise, they look back on some of the archives and I think Callum, our eldest, uh, he's 20 now. He obviously came to a few of the games and he's passionate about the football club. He loves football. He's a keen Derby fan. He actually works for... Uh, the Delaware company here at the football club, a uh, real passionate supporter. So I think now he understands after all those years, he said, actually, dad, I think, you know, you, you were quite a good player then, weren't you? If you played for Derby and you, you had a career because he comes here and watches the games on, on the weekends, obviously, and he knows what goes through the process of, of getting these players on the pitch and 30,000 fans here. Um, he, he loves that side of it. And I think, yeah, that they really enjoyed that side of it. Uh, watching, watching their dad, obviously, uh, Bradley and, and Kieran are a bit younger, but, uh, it's nice to talk about and they, they often do talk about it and uh, they're very keen on sport themselves. Have any of them come close to following in your footsteps going out of the football route? I think so, yeah. I mean, Callum is very unfortunate. Callum was a, a talented football player. He I got a really bad injury. Yeah, injury. he did, unfortunately. When he, was, when he was about 16, he he, he did his cruciate. Um It was a real shame that the local um, sports facility, Willows, they, we had a, a terrible winter and a lot of the games were called off. So they were all playing... Uh, inside on the on the Astro unfortunately just got his um, knee twisted and, and snapped his cruciate and uh, it was a long recovery about 18 months recovery because after that he sort of tore his uh, meniscus his, his cartilage and it was a, a real difficult one for him to overcome in the middle of exams and he just never really sort of recovered from it he still plays football now so I wouldn't say it was an opportunity loss but um, he's now 20 still loves the game wants to get back into it and still keeps fit. So you never know. I think, you know, you've got to keep believing and, and see if you can. Uh, Bradley, my middle son, if I asked him to kick over, uh, kick a ball, sorry, he'd probably fall over. But regarding, uh, he's probably a real athlete of the family. He did love athletics and sort of gymnastics and stuff like that. So it's great to go and watch him and participate. And he's very committed um, to, to his sport. And um, our youngest, Kieran, was a, a national tennis player. So I don't know where he got that from. I think his and mum will take the, uh, he's got his mum jeans there, but he, Kieran just loves competing, love, always plays with a smile on his face, which, was, which is great to see. And also he's a very keen football player as well, but unfortunately the two, the commitment now on both levels at such an early age uh, for tennis and football, I mean, you've got to make a decision. So I've just left it in his hands and just said you'd support him all the way, and that's the decision he's, got to, he's going to make, whether he takes his tennis racket or steps into his football boots.
1: Do you think you look at things differently because you've been through it? Obviously, it has changed now. You did the, the YTS and I guess that doesn't really exist in, in football so much anymore. It's now much more formalised academies from early ages. But do you sort of look at it and in terms of your boys and,
0: and the route that they would maybe take and, and maybe approach it differently to other parents? I think so, yeah. I think that's that comes with the experience, doesn't it? I think uh, I've been through the process, so when I go and watch a a game of football, I've been involved in the academy. You can see the nervousness and the expressions on the on the parents' faces who probably haven't been through what we've been through. So we're probably a bit more relaxed. We know what's coming, so we've got that added advantage. And I think it's just all about enjoyment. The the kids have got to enjoy themselves. Yes, they've got to be committed, and you know let them make some of the decisions as well. Because I think if, if sports forced upon them, you can quite easily. Um, you know force them away from something they really enjoy I think the pressure as well there's a different pressure from when I was playing Um, it's all the social media the money involved and also you you just got to be a bit realistic as well because the the chances of making in a career in any sport as we've talked about and getting an income stream for it you've got to be super talented Um, but in amongst all that you can still enjoy sport and and really play it, and and that's what the outlook I've got on it now, especially. And I think maturity as well. I'm, I'm mature. If I come back now uh, as a player, my football career again, would I be a better player? Yes, I probably would have because I'd make more, better decisions. I understand the game more, but uh, that's just part of growing up and that's the process you go through. You mentioned social media. You're not really on anything, uh, which is
1: different to a lot of I mean Michael Johnson Shane Nicholson are other sort of main pundits they're both on quite active on, on Twitter in particular is that a conscious decision or are you just not you're not interested in it
0: um, I think you know with three boys I get enough uh, hassle with them being on social media I think it's a, a good tool used properly obviously meeting friends catching up with people but I, I think the you know things have changed i've probably shown my age a bit now but um people need to post and they want to be liked and uh they want to uh, make friends from that and and i'm just a a normal guy easygoing. you don't need Um, i I don't need that i don't need to it's almost like i've got to be careful what i say i I don't want to take a picture of myself and then you know re-edit it 20 times before i post out there you know just just be yourself and be happy with yourself and yes it can be a great tool and it can um help a lot of people but also uh in the wrong hands i think it can be you know can be quite upsetting at times and can uh, can affect a lot of people really
1: you don't have a, a secret twitter account that you use to keep keep an eye on
0: things then i don't i think i just hear, hear enough from you guys and uh you know i've got some good friends who sort of tell me the the, the local gossip and what's going on and, and the important things but now as we said look you know um used in the right way it can be a fantastic tool but i, I just choose not to uh you know get all my information or, or post things about myself on there you wouldn't have time on a
1: match day, to be fair, because you're one of the busiest people in the building at Pride Park, especially when you're in the studio with us, as you have been recently over over the past season at least, because you're an ambassador as well. So talk us through sort of your your match day for a home game at Pride Park Stadium.
0: Well, basically, yeah, I was you know, really privileged to, to get the opportunity. So a match day, I'd come in. What sort of time are you here from? Well, probably we're getting a match day is probably about half twelve, one o'clock. Preparing so obviously the guests would come in, the hospitality guests. So all our sponsors would go into the main Toyota Lounge and you'd meet and greet the guest. Uh, a few players would come up, have a bit of QA with them. How's training gone? and um, how do you think the game's gonna go? Get a bit of a score prediction just to just to sort of warm the room up a bit a bit. I think there's a lot of nervous tension in the room, so you've got to try to be quite witty to get them going. And then come and see obviously the guys from Rams TV who do a fantastic job on, on every home game. And it all depends what my schedule is. I could be up doing some commentary in the gantry which which is great uh, or it could be coming down to just do some live feed with yourself whether it's the, the Facebook extra or maybe some bits and pieces just before the game just, just preparing for the game and then at half time there may be a bit of a draw going on or there might be a, a corporate sponsor just to let people know about that and of course then at the end of the game uh, the man of the match will come up I'll interview man of the match um, whoever it may be Mel Morris or, or Stephen Pearce will come down and have a quick, quick chat about the game and how it's gone And I think that's just come down with the experience as well because win, lose or draw, you've got to keep quite positive. You know, we are going to get beat here at Pride Park. We are going to win games, which is great. And obviously, you know, we're going to draw games as well. So it's trying to keep that level balance and and make everybody, you know, enjoy the day. It should be a a special day to come here and a privilege to come and watch it because they are special occasions. And uh, that's sort of my normal routine on a a match day. And then obviously um, with the role as well, regarding the ambassador that we do some stuff in the communities as well the football club are involved with lots of different charities and do some fantastic work recently we went to a care home george wilson 105 years of age which was amazing really so we presented him with a signed shirt um, we go out uh, with a community trust and do some work and they do some fantastic things whether it's drug or alcohol related alzheimer's so it's a real mixture getting out in the community is great and then obviously the great links with the Rams tv To go back to the,
1: the interviews, I mean, I know how I sort of prepare and and sometimes they're great and sometimes you can dread them and they can be quite awkward given results. How do you
0: find it when you had to do your first interview with, with someone? Was that a bit nerve wracking? I think it was, yeah. I think you've got to cut your teeth, haven't you, in any anything. Um, you know, we want to go out there and entertain and play. But I think being a player, you know... What to say to players, I've been in the position where I've had a bad game, I've had a, I've had a good game, I've won games, I've lost games. So you know the sort of feeling of the player. If, if they've lost a game here at Pride Park, they don't want to be talking to me and speaking to the guests. They're probably reflecting on their individual game and, and collectively as a team. So it's just asking the right questions and that just comes from being a former player and being experienced. So I, I found that transition quite easy after a while because... You're not going to ask players you know, stupid questions. I know people from the media uh, have got to do that because they want, to, they want to get a bit of tension and they want to get a, a real response and an answer from the individual. But um, no, I, I try to be as professional as I can because I've been in those guys' uh, position before, so I know what they're going through. And do you think the players maybe prefer talking
1: to you rather than me, say, because you've done it and you know, as you say,
0: what they're sort of going through? Um, I won't be offended. If no, you say not at yes. all. I'm obviously, I oh, mean you're a you know you're a class act yourself. So um, no, I don't think so. I think now players um, sometimes they get tarnished and, and get a bit of a bad image. You know they're normal guys out there. Okay, yeah, they, they've got our football shirt on and, and our football colours, but they're respectable guys. They're very professional. Um, yes, you're going to have the old rough diamond, but that that's what a football club is about. Yeah, we're all individual. We're all different. And I think whether I interview them or or yourself, I think you'll get a professional response. You probably ask better questions than me. I'm probably... um, Debatable. uh, But uh, no, I I don't really think it it makes a huge amount of difference of what I ask them and and what you would ask them because I think, uh, you know, they they would prepare their answer uh, whoever asked the question. Do you miss playing? 100%, I think. um, What do you miss about it? Well, I think it's just a case of if you look at now some of the players who finish you find it very very difficult because I think um, if you look at is it Harry's Heroes recently I watched this sort of documentary and I think it's just a camaraderie the day to day activity and it's a very structured lifestyle we leave you've got to go and train hard and then of course you're preparing to play in front of 20, 30, 40,000 people every weekend so it's it's routine the fitness how can you buy that occasion when you step out in front of 30,000 you come here at Pride Park whether it's home and away and that winning feeling, I always, always remember a chairman coming into the uh, changing room after we'd won and and that chairman, yeah, multi-millionaire, but he couldn't buy the feeling that players had that afternoon of winning a game, uh, great camaraderie. So I think you, you miss that, you miss the day-to-day activity, the structure, because when it does finish, there's no in-between, you know, you're not going into train anymore. Uh, you can go out and maybe cut the lawn and go and play a bit of golf, but that novel too soon wears off. And I think that's where a lot of players, especially now, are uh, they getting a bit more help and support? Really struggle with that and, and almost lose their identity, and, that, and that's a that's a real worry for players who do finish because we massively miss it, especially doing it from the age of sixteen and and having almost like a twenty year career. It's very difficult to then go into something else. I mean, if you if you go to get a new an interview for for example, and they say, "Well, Mark, what have you done for the last twenty years?" Well, I've been a professional football player, so but whatever fundamental skills have you got? It's not as if we're a tradesman, we're not like electrician plasterer or or builder. We haven't got any other skills. Probably got some great organisation skills, but that also then affects you and limits you on, on what you can then do regarding an income stream there's a job after football. In terms of former players, former teammates,
1: who stands out for you in terms of characters, personalities? Give us some stories.
0: Oh, wow, there's been some, I think, you know, we could write a book about it, so... From about the Derby days, obviously, our good friend John O and and Big Darren Moore, when we were playing under Billy Davis, obviously the ice bath started coming into the sports science side of it. We all sort of had our knee injuries in our time. And you go in the ice bath into recover after and after games. So me, John O and, and Moore would would do it, it'd be our routine. At first, we had to go across the building and and up at Moore Farm and, and go and get these massive buckets of ice and pour them into the bath and then after that it got a bit more advanced and we got these aluminium big ice baths and they used to bubble on the bottom and it used to be extremely cold as you can imagine so we're waiting to get into the ice bath and Jono's wearing his socks I'm like Jono what are you doing mate he said Eddie honestly my feet get so cold in there I'm like really we're going into an ice bath and you're wearing your socks so he said yeah yeah like I said my feet get so cold they get so cold in there so it was quite comical. Great band, Tommy. Jonna was a great role model. Same with um, Darren Moore at the football club. And I think those days uh, under Billy Davis, we did have that great camaraderie. We respected each other. We got on so well on and off the field, and and that's what led to our uh, promotion campaign, winning, winning at Wembley and beating West Brom. So stories like that we'll, we'll, we'll always remember because uh, you know it was just comical to see him you know walk into the ice bath with his socks on and just I was just thinking you know am I being stupid here am I missing something should I go and put some socks on because but no I think um you know that, that's John all over for you but uh yeah so quite comical um was it you that told me
1: the Darren Moore IT band story because I, I, yeah, I, I had physio I mean, before and, and was, I, was, I was moaning about how painful it was this was a few months ago and you said Darren Moore had it done
0: Well Darren Moore, I mean everybody knows him big Moore or big Dave as his, his nickname is uh, first time I've seen someone make him cry actually because um, you know his his thighs he's a big big guy, huge thighs stuff like that so he had to he had his IT band had to get loosened off so it's one of those yes you get your your, your massage you get your thumbs into international it that, but also you've really got to get deep into the tissue and sometimes you've got to get your elbow in there. So um, he was, (laughs) I can laugh at it now, but I just remember going in and seeing him crying and shouting, Eddie, Eddie, please, please help me, please. I was like, you're okay there, mate. I'll just leave you there. And instead, I've got the rest of the lads in to come and watch him. So it was quite comical, but uh, yeah, great guy. But yeah, I must admit, I never thought I'd see the day of Big Darren Moore crying on uh, on the medical room table. What about away from Derby? Who else really stays with you? Um... I think it's just, you know, you've got to be careful what you say on this show. So, I mean, there were some, some, you know, comical stories. Uh, I mean, going back to that, funny enough, there was a guy called uh, Gareth Davis when I was at Crystal Palace. Typical prankster, should I say. And he always used to get a club sandwich every Friday night. So I used to room with him. And, uh, of course, the club sandwiches. I don't know if you've ever had club sandwiches, but you've got a sort of cocktail stick in the middle to keep all the, you know, whether you got the chicken, the salads and all that together. So for, for one, some bizarre reason, he thought it was hilarious when I fell asleep, he'd wake me up with a cocktail stick and poke me with a cocktail stick the night before a big game. I was like, you know, Gareth, I just want to sort of educate you a bit now. You know, we're roommates, aren't we? So said, yeah, yeah, fine. I said, so why every Friday night do you get a club sandwich? And then you wake me up with a cocktail stick by poking me. I'm not a voodoo doll. And he used to, he used to find it so hilarious. He used to laugh, you know, for about 10, 15 minutes after. As I was like really, you know, just soaking up the wounds which he just inflicted on me. Where
1: I I almost don't dare ask this, but whereabouts would he poke you?
0: Well, you can imagine in the in the.
1: I'm not sure I want to. Well,
0: first of all, I think he was just. You know, normally you would just be quite sensible and maybe poke someone in the arm or in the side of the ribs, but no, he decided right to the bottom area (laughs) as hard as he could and just to get that reaction. And and he seen me fly out the bed and, and. you know the duvet would come off, and he, I've never seen someone laugh so much in my life. To think, you know, his former teammate, he's just going to poke with a cocktail 6. So, uh, but outside of football, you know, I think you you get to meet some some good people, and um, antics wise, I, I think it's just a case of. They're always talking about, you know, what's it like to be a football player? You know, we, we've got to have, you have your, your rules and morals, which you can and can't do when you're playing. Obviously, going out in the town, drinking, having a good time. But it's just trying to get that right balance. And, uh, you know, the, you, you do meet some, some great people in football. And, and that's, that's also the great thing about it as well.
1: Have you ever seen any pranks that have stepped over the line that have gone too far that people
0: haven't liked? Um, yeah, I think you also go. You, you know, you got to be. You got to be a bit careful, really, what what you can and can't do. Mm. I won't tell you the story or who it was, but I remember, mm. of course, firework night. You'd always get um, one player who would bring a box of fireworks into the changing room and stuff, and sell them at a ridiculous price. God knows where the fireworks came from, but they were cheap at the time. So we decided to test the fireworks out. So. In the that, dressing room? No, not in the dressing room because that would have been obviously health and safety and a and terrible hazard. But uh, of course, um, I won't mention the player because uh, we'll, we'll get a, a bad name because of it. Of course, when you get a rocket, you get the filter and you put them in a filter that obviously allows the rocket to go off. This particular player decided to stick the rocket into the ground. So the stick into the ground, light the rocket and realised that it wouldn't take off. He says, I'm not buying these fireworks. They're they're duds, they're rubbish. I'm not having them, they're terrible. So we said, look, you know, this is what you've got to do to light the firework. So educated him, obviously put them into the little funnel piece. And then why he wasn't looking, we decided to tie his underpants to the rocket as well. So as, as we lit the rocket, saying, this is how you do it. It's, oh, wow, look at that. Who's are those pants? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. So when he was getting changed after, yeah, it was quite comical to think, you know, his Calvin Kleins were, were some, somewhere <laughs> over Derby.
1: Is that the thing you miss the most? Is it is it the boys? That's what I always hear. Not just in football, every other sport. The thing you miss when you finish is you miss the boys.
0: I think it is. It's the camaraderie. It's in the dressing room. Uh, you went you with each other. You know, nine months of the year, day in day out. You build relationships. You got to tolerate people as well. And I think I've been very fortunate from my career. Every dressing room I went in. You know, there was really not a, a a bad person there. Yes, we had our ups and downs. That that dictates on results. But great people. Uh, friends for life and uh, yeah you you do miss that camaraderie because you know we all uh, disperse in, in different ways when our career finishes I think people ask me the question now how many players do you still speak to or how many players do you still got the numbers on your phone it, it's probably not a great deal there's probably less than a handful but I think if we ever bumped into each other you know we reminisce we'd have a drink and catch up and I think that's just that's just the nature of the beast really that's just what happens in the industry
1: that's what I was going to say whenever I see whether it's you or, or Shinna or Jono or whoever it's been whenever there is somebody that you used to play with that comes to a game and you see each other, it is like an old mate from school sort of thing. So I can understand that maybe you
0: don't talk to them regularly, but as soon as you see them, you slot back into where you were. Yeah, I think that's a really nice thing. I think that's a lot down to respect, isn't it? You respected each other when you played hard and, uh, you went out and, and really enjoyed the victories and I think the effect of that as well you know when you do win it's great when you lose you know you don't go outside the house you reflect on what's gone wrong how can you improve but seeing a lot of old players and ex-players you, you've played and played against is nice to have that camaraderie and, and that respect for each other
2: take advantage of a half season hospitality package and enjoy matches from the comfort of the Toyota suite Eagles Land, or the newly opened captain's club Half-season hospitality guarantees fans won't miss a kick, including the arrival of Wayne Rooney and vital home games against arch-rivals Nottingham Forest and Leeds United. Hospitality packages offer the tasty combination of a chef's unlimited buffer, regular visits from club legends and the best view of the action. To book your hospitality package, please call 0871 472 or email hospitality at dcfc.co.uk.
1: I think you do a bit of coaching youth football, but are you
0: done in terms of coaching the professional side of the game? I think it's never say never. I think, you know, there's thousands of me around. It's a very saturated market. Um, A lot of people out there trying to become coaches. And, and, you know, in the industry now, it's not just for ex-players. There's a lot of people out there who've become great coaches and, and can deliver a fantastic session. And I think for me, I, I was involved at, at Wolves and, and Forest, believe it or not, just just to get some a real experience. And I love that camaraderie and I love getting some information back to the to the youngsters. It was normally... Uh, they, they
1: liked you at Forest, didn't they?
0: Yeah, I had a great time with, at Wolves and, and Forest um, with the 16s. I think it's just a case of the game now, the players are very individual regarding that. They're all different, whereas before old school, I think you treat everybody the same you've got to find out that niche and have those social skills where you speak to the person you gain their trust you know see what they prefer to do some players want a bit of an arm around them and, and want a bit of you know probably help and a bit of support and other players want to be challenged they want they, they're not interested in that side of it they want to be challenged and they want to go out and perform so I really enjoyed that side of the coaching um, working with players and then you get the respect and then I think they, they respect you because you've played before but that gets you sort. Of, that gets the door slightly ajar, but then you've got to go and deliver. You've got to show that you can deliver and you can, you know, help them on their journey. And that's the most important thing for coaching for me was, you know, I've had my time. If I can give something back to them, my experience and help them go on to their journey, and, and hopefully they can go on to have a successful career, then that puts a huge smile on your face. But it's very difficult, as I said. There's a lot of players in my position who, who are trying to get into the industry, and it's a case of. It's it's not what he knows who you know as well. I think that's the case of a lot of industries. There's a, there's a lot of people who who tend to um, keep with their uh, with their friends and but that's probably a bit unfair in some degree because not only is it just their friends they've got to be able to you know deliver deliver as well and and make sure they can perform uh, on a day in day in back basis because players will soon find you out.
1: But you are very proud of, of the team that you've managed. You, you, you've come in a couple of times. I forget which age group it is, but you've come in a couple of times and said, oh, we did this today, or we won this tournament, or whatever.
0: It You, yeah. you clearly get a lot out of that. Oh, definitely. I just think it's you're just giving something back on you. So I was uh, involved with uh, Miklova RBL. I think we were the only team... Uh, this is where it goes on my CV, you see. It was the only team in Derbyshire to win the Saturday and Sunday League and the Saturday and Sunday League um, Cup. So we did the quadruple. So for that was was wonderful for them to see them develop. I coached them from about the age of 8. My Kieran was involved in the team, great people involved in the football club, and it was a case of everybody had had a chance. You wouldn't like put one player on for like 5 minutes on a cold wet Sunday afternoon. Everybody had their fair share of minutes on the pitch and everybody was treated equally. And we were very successful, but that was due to the players working hard, listening, enjoying themselves, which was top of the list. And uh, they got the rewards from that.
1: How how did you find managing your son? Was there ever any issues on that?
0: Yeah, I think um, yeah. Sometimes you you probably try to try not to pick him out so much and, and just let him just train as normal with the rest of the players. But I think you just want him to do well and enjoy himself as well. So I think it's subtle reminders because you want to you want to uh, be quite disciplined as well. So I don't want to see my son rolling around on the floor doing cartwheels and messing around. And so, yeah, he, he was very disciplined and I think it, it didn't affect me coaching him. I wouldn't treat him any differently to any other any other boys. And uh, that's why it was a, a really nice team to work with. But I, I'm conscious that, and I mean, I know not playing football growing up, playing hockey
1: growing up, there was always issues of if a dad was a coach of the team, there'd maybe be a bit of resentment and they had to be make sure that they weren't, you know, too preferential towards them. Were you? Did you ever get other parents sort of saying, you yeah, know, he's playing a bit too much or anything like that? Or, or were you just? Did
0: you just get it right? Well, I think Kieran was was quite a good player, so we, we that two, was it. So it was easier. Yeah, that makes it quite easy. But I think you're always going to get in any sport, as you just spoke about hockey and stuff. You're always going to get a parent who's going to play their son or daughter because it's their son and daughter. And I think you can always have that effect where parents are not too happy because they they think they shouldn't be playing so that that can become very difficult, but we'd always train and, and play the team who were playing well, but fortunately Kieran was we worked hard and, and he was quite a good player so I think he, when he did play his his name on the team she was worthy worthy of that so that that did make it a lot easier but i'm I'd imagine if you were coaching your own son and daughter and they they weren't quite up to the level that that can put you in a bit of a difficult position but also you've got to step back and say. You know What age are they for one? Where's the enjoyment in it? And, and what, what's your outcome? Are you, are you looking just to win every game and not have development? Or, or are you looking to just play, play the game and enjoy the sport for what it is?
1: Just lastly, said early, you're a South Coast boy originally. I know Derby's home now and the family's here and the job's here and you enjoy all of it. Do you think you'll ever head back to the South Coast?
0: Um, it was on the cards a little couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, I think it's always been on the cards. Um, <laughs> it's just a case of uh, things change, don't they? Family things change, and uh, we've settled up here. Like I said, we got the boys for his school, which and for education, which was really important. But coming down or leaving the coast, beautiful part of the world down in Plymouth, we are right on the coast. Very similar regarding Derby uh, population-wise. Uh, football teams obviously a bit different regarding what leagues they're in. But uh, the difference is you are down on the coast. And for me, I think the most important thing was family as well. Heading back down there to family and and friends. I mean, I left home when I was 16. So I've been on my travels for a number of years now. And life is very short. So I'm not one, you know, doesn't look look back with any regrets. I think you always got to look for change and and look for different things in your life. Things do change. So who knows uh, when I will head back there.
1: Well, Mark, thanks for joining us. And, And if you think of any more stories, we'll certainly have you back on again, all right? Pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Cheers, mate. Well hello again. I thought we were finished, but we've just been chatting off air and Mark started telling a story about Peter Crouch that we've decided you have to hear. So played with him at Norwich. Mark, Peter Crouch, take it away.
0: Yeah, Big Crouchy, great guy. And obviously he's he's doing fantastically well with his podcast. But yeah, I remember he signed for, for Norwich, a uh, lovely guy, him and Darren Hucky, we were, you know, vital on our promotion campaign. But you talk about the off field. Stuff as well. Um, funny enough, he, we all know Big Pete's is sort of six foot seven. So obviously, when he came to the club and tried on the shorts, we had to extend the shorts because uh, you know he, he's a he is a tall guy. But uh, what a player, what a finisher as well. I didn't realize how how talented he really was after playing against him. Uh, so many times and then we ended up going out for some lunch and uh, that went on into the evening and I can't believe we put Peter Crouch in the middle seat of the taxi on the, on, on the way to getting some food which is a bit unfair as we said we know he's six foot seven so me and Darren Huckabee sat either side and then believe it or not we, we, we went into obviously we've been out all in the afternoon and obviously we were in the cab at night now and um, he finds this huge torch in the back of the taxi. God knows where, where it was because it's not as if it was under the seat. So Crouchy decided to to pick up this torch and uh, blind the, the, the taxi driver, which uh, I, I completely <laughs> by, uh, by, by accident. By, by accident, because driver. he was looking around and thought, what's this torch? You know, this isn't. Realised he flicked the on button. At this time, it blinded every one of us. It was the brightest light I think I'd ever seen. I think it was a, a warning torch or something. It should have been on a boat or something. And uh, of course, this reflected straight into the, the cab driver's uh, mirror, blinded the cab driver. Thankfully, we didn't crash, but we nearly crashed. So the air was certainly blue from the from the taxi driver's um, response to Big Crouchy turning on this torch. But uh, we can certainly look back with fond memories and laugh at it now did he kick you out the taxi driver or did he let you carry on i think he was in the process of kicking us out until he realized it was peter crouch and darren huckabee Uh, i was the one behind the driver's seat so luckily he didn't recognize me as well as those two they were quite really successful at the time so um no we paid the bill and and thankfully went on our way definitely worth it mark thank you again pleasure thank you to mark please you could uh, squeeze in the
1: peter crouch Tail at the end. Uh, Let's get in a quick uh, Ask Rams TV. Uh, Remember, Twitter is the place to get your questions in at Owen Bradley. Uh, Joined again by Robin Matthews, who's our head of broadcasting. Uh, This week, Rob, uh, Joe McLean on Twitter asks Do you know why Rams players increased from £5 to £10 per game? Seems a bit of a rip off. Is there any justification? Uh, Genuinely interested, no menace intended. Uh, Thank you, Joe. I think that was specifically in reference to the fact that domestic games cost 10 pounds international five is is that right
2: yeah yeah that's it uh, the prices unfortunately are set by the EFL and we can't alter them the only thing we could do is actually increase them to make more money so and that's something we wouldn't do as a club so we literally we're told by the EFL if you're doing this you have to charge these prices so unfortunately joe that's what we have to charge but A lot of clubs, they just stick to the standard I follow system and actually you will just get bump 10 minutes before the game, game, half-time holding screen graphic, nothing else. Actually with Rams TV, we give you a lot more. You obviously have now the warm-up show for free on Facebook. Then you have the half-an-hour build-up show with Owen and guests and then half-time analysis full-time and then added time extra shows. So we put a lot more gubbins is what I'd say onto it than other clubs. So Actually, what we do for ten pounds, I think, isn't too bad for a domestic viewer.
1: Uh, yeah, and as as Rob says, uh, out of our hands anyway. Joe, I hope that uh, answers the question. Uh, if you've got a question, uh, ask Rams TV. Is the hashtag on Twitter at Owen Bradley? If you want to get in touch direct as well, uh, we're back again soon. Uh, don't forget, spread the word. Bye bye.